good afternoon, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. Trust me, it's like I don't know if anybody's going to show up or not. So thank you. Uh, yeah, so thank you for coming. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes when you talk about homelessness, I don't know if some, I get the feeling sometimes people don't want to talk about it. So uh, to come out on a Sunday afternoon, uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, there are a few people here I do just want to introduce. One is my wife uh, up at the front, Misty, and then these two wonderful people who just walked in uh, are, part of our, uh, are part of our team, uh, Thomas and Annette, and uh, then Eric uh, over here. Raise your hand, Eric, so they can see you. They're part, uh, they're part of our team also. So, you know, I had to pay people to come. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't pay them. Um, as we start this discussion, I'm going to try to, to say something up front that I hope makes some sense. But when, we talk, when I talk about homelessness and what's going on, um, at different times, I'll refer to different things. Um, but it's, it's really three different organizations that are kind of overlapped, uh, and mainly because I'm in, I'm in each of those organizations. And so if I say something, um, I'm, you know, it's going to come out of that. And those three organizations are really Franklin Community Church, which is the church that I pastor, uh, Franklin Community Development, which is a nonprofit our church uh, started several years ago, and that's really where where the homeless uh, came from. And, and Franklin Community Development still does a lot of things with the homeless. And then Williamson County Homeless Alliance, which is which is where uh, we really try to give the most press um, or the most attention to. And the Williamson County Homeless Alliance was an organization that started um, maybe three years ago now. I think it was I think it was in February of, of 2019 when we had a meeting at um, St. Paul's Episcopal Church that I didn't think anybody would show up for. And it was a couple hundred people uh, that showed up, uh, uh, showed up for that. That was after an article that the Tennessean had done on what uh, Franklin Community Development was doing with, with the homeless. And so when I talk about the homeless and I may say, you know, here's what we're doing, uh, that may or may not be the Homeless Alliance. It could be the develop, Community Development. And everybody who works for us has two name tags that they wear. One is uh, uh, Franklin Community Development, and the other is Williamson County Homeless Alliance. So depending on where they're going, you know, they, they can show uh, either badge. But overall, we're just talking about, uh, we're talking about homelessness, and mainly homelessness in Williamson County, that I know a lot of people don't think we have homeless, or it's not a problem. And to be honest, I didn't really know about the problem until about uh, six years ago uh, or so, um, our church uh, our church meets at Johnson Elementary School, and uh, we really have no plans of ever building a building. We're, we're really, uh, I tell people, we're, we're a ministry that does church on Sundays instead of a church that has ministries. And so we, we have group homes that we help operate and manage and, and other things like that. And so about six years ago, maybe seven, uh, we started leasing a building on Natchez Street on the corner of Natchez and Atkin. That's our community center now. And, uh, and I, I had an office over there because my office was at my house. And across the street from that community center was an empty lot that had a couple cars parked on it. And I noticed that there was always people in the cars. And so um, one day I went across the street uh, to talk to them and found out that they were actually living in, in those cars. And, um, and that was really my, my first introduction to, well, we have a problem in, in Williamson County. And so... That winter, we started having an emergency shelter in the cold winter in our community center, which I have a picture I'll show you in a minute uh, from that. And we did that. We would do that in the winter. And then we moved to a warehouse uh, for the winter. And every, every year during the winter, the news, news stations out of Nashville as well as newspapers would contact me and want to do a story because they found it fascinating 
uh, that there were homeless people in, in the wealthiest county in, um, in, in Tennessee. And, uh, and so then it was after one of those newspaper articles that my phone just started blowing up and we scheduled that meeting um, at um, St. Paul's Episcopal Church uh, and then really the rest is history. And it was our thought then that we needed to start another nonprofit, which was Williamson County Homeless Alliance, um, because there was no um, there was no nonprofit in Williamson County whose sole purpose was homelessness. There were a lot of nonprofits like Grace Works, Franklin Community Development, Community Housing Partnership, and a host of churches that were all trying to work together with homeless. But they also had other things they were doing. But there was no other organization whose sole purpose was homelessness, and so that was really really why we felt the need. Uh, to start uh, the homeless, the homeless alliance, and so uh, to get started in the presentation formally. Now, now these these three people um, were 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 all homeless at one time. Now, now Jeff, Jeff was pretty. Did anybody ever see Jeff? Jeff was a long time. He lived on the streets in Franklin for about 13 years, um, just on the streets. He would sleep wherever he could, and he he passed away um, maybe three years. It was I think it was 2019. I think it was before COVID. He passed away, but, but he would always stay with us when we were open. The other two, uh, Fuzzy is, is the one in the front, and he's in our group home, one of our group homes. And Enrico is living with a family member still, right? Is that right, Thomas? So all these are kind of, there was a group of about six or seven guys that were kind of the first group of homeless people that I was working with. And they've all uh, are either housed or, in Jeff's case, um, they they have passed away, and so when I see when I see that picture, I smile because there's some memories there. But also, you know, I, I know where they all are, where they are where they are now. And um, depending on your view of death, Jeff's doing pretty good now too. So so uh, they're all they're all doing they're all doing well. But their pictures are up here um, for a while. And that picture is probably about five years old. Uh, but uh, you know, here's the question that I get asked a lot: How many people experiencing homelessness do we have in Williamson County? And I try really hard to say people experiencing homelessness instead of just homeless people because that, that's not who they are. It's what they, it's what they are experiencing. And, and to be honest, nobody knows. If you look at the county as a whole, nobody knows because we haven't, we haven't tracked it. Our organization has been doing our best the last couple of years to, to, to track it. Um, and we, we try to track it through what's called HMIS, which is a HUD thing, a Homeless Management Information System. That's a nationwide thing. Uh, but based on some anecdotal evidence of, of what I experience every day, plus what the Franklin Special School District reports as how many of their students are homeless, and the Franklin Special School District is around the 200s, between 175 and 200 students that they say are homeless. And then the county uh, school system reports around 250 or so uh, children in their schools who are homeless. And you know that the children are not homeless by themselves. There's going to be a parent. Now, some of those could be siblings, and so you can't look at it that way. But so just kind of using an educated guess based on what the numbers that we serve, based on the numbers that I know GraceWorks serves, and then on what the schools report, um, and then trying to be somewhat conservative, I, I put that number in the county at probably being about 1,200 people who are homeless in the county. Um, and, you know, I, I could very easily uh, come up with or show you 800 to 1,000 very, very easily, and then just kind of adding up a little bit. My gut tells me there's more, and really the reason it tells me there's more is, is I'll use Nashville as an example. The official number of, peop of homeless people in Nashville, what Nashville will tell you, Davidson County, is around the 6,000 mark, six to 7,000 homeless in Nashville, Davidson County. However, 
everyone in Nashville, Davidson County, who works with the homeless population will tell you it's more like 25 or 30,000 uh, people who are homeless. And so if, if the numbers that they record are around 6,000, but the real result is around 30,000, then if I can come up with about 800 that I know pretty confidently are homeless, saying 1,200 in the county is, is not that much uh, of a leap. And that's really where the number is and I've used that number the the newspaper and different news organizations have quoted me on that number and I still stand by that number um, this past year we we probably just in our own uh, work um, dealt with around a little over 200 individual people uh, and and the vast majority of the people who we work with are Franklin City city limits um, not not the county we have what's called rural poverty obviously and and rural homelessness it's very, very hard to track because a lot of the people who are homeless in the rural areas, um, just to be quite honest, they want to be left alone. They're kind of hidden. They don't want to, um, anybody to know where they are. And so it's really, really hard uh, to track that. But I, I feel confident in, in that number of, um, of 1,200 people uh, in the county who, who are homeless. And so um, out of that, again, we started the Homeless Alliance a couple of years ago. And here, and here is kind of our stated purpose. Our goal as the Homeless Alliance is to have a permanent 365-day-a-year uh, tr uh, transitional sanctuary is what we call it, because we don't want to warehouse people. When I talk about a homeless shelter, I'm not talking about warehousing people, but I'm talking about a safe place where people can come who need it, and then from there uh, we can get to know them through case management, try to find out what their issues are, and, and how we can help. And so we want to minister holistically to the person experiencing homelessness that results in our community reaching what's called functional zero when it comes to homelessness. That's a HUD terminology, uh, functional zero. But that's the goal, to, that as a, as a county, we can say when it comes to homelessness, uh, we are at functional zero. And, here, and here's what that means. Um, a community reaches functional zero when the homelessness in that community is rare, brief, and solved correctly and quickly. Uh, rare, brief, and solved correctly and quickly. Um, the goal, since we do receive some grant funding from HUD, this is why I mention HUD all the time, HUD has a goal that if somebody presents themselves to you as homeless, that you get them housed in 90 days. Uh, that's kind of the goal. And so if there's a community-wide plan in place, and it would take a community to do this, but if there's a community-wide plan in place where somebody presents themselves as, as, as homeless, um, and then with case management, they're put on the track with the goal that in 90 days uh, they are housed, and if you have that program together where that happens more often than not, uh, then as a community, you can say that functionally you have zero homelessness in your community. And I think that that's a goal we're shooting for. And I think that's something that uh, the community could be proud of to say that there are, there are only a handful of, of counties across the United States, and I've, I forgot which ones they are, but they're kind of... They're, in a lot of ways, they're like Williamson County when they're, they're not major metropolitan cities. They're, they're smaller, like in Austin, Texas, and, and places like that, um, that they have said that they've reached functional zero when it comes to veteran homelessness. But there's not hardly any that will say uh, functional zero as a whole. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm proud. I'm kind of arrogant when I say I'm from Williamson County. I think we can do it when nobody else can. Uh, and we have the resources. It's just sometimes I don't know if we have the will uh, uh, to really... Uh, to really want to address this. But if we had a, a, a community-wide plan in place where uh, homelessness is rare and it's solved quickly and correctly, um, 
mean, and using HUD's definition, that 90-day period, then you can say you're functional zero. And so the Homeless Alliance opened up a transitional uh, group home back in December, and, and uh, the people stay there for 90 days kind of with that, with that goal, that, okay, um, we're going to put you in this home for 90 days, surround you with supportive services, and, uh, and then by the end of that 90 days, uh, try to make sure they have a permanent house, a permanent place to go, and uh, that home could hold up to eight people. And so over the course of the year, you know, ideally that would be 32 uh, people that you move. We have moved, and this, this really includes Franklin Community Development because it's been around a little bit longer. But in the last, four, in the last um, three to four years, we have moved um, 70 uh, families, and a family is defined as an individual or a family. So 70 families uh, from uh, homelessness uh, to, permanent, uh, to permanent housing. Uh, over that time, and uh, and so and, we're, and so we're proud of that, and and the it's the majority. I want to say around 65 to 70 percent that after a couple of years they're still able to to support themselves and stay in that. Sometimes people go back to the streets, um, but uh, but I think our track record is pretty good. I had a conversation with one of my uh, employees, uh, one of one of our partners, just the other day, and I've told my team this, so the ones here will know. I've said it a bunch that you know Jesus healed ten lepers. One said thank you. So if Jesus, the Son of God, bats 10%, if we bat 1%, one out of 100, I think we're doing pretty good. <laughs> you know. And so that if, if one out of 100 people were able to help, there's a transformation that takes place where they never experience homelessness again. Uh, then from my perspective, that's worth uh, everything that we've done and how hard we've tried to work um, to make that happen. I want to go through this, but feel free to interrupt me with questions, but then there'll be plenty of time at the end for questions as well. But if I say something and you have a question, just, uh, just, uh, just stop. You know, I, I'm a preacher, so you know, once we get going, we don't know when to, we don't know when to stop, right? All right, so any questions so far? I'll just stop right there. How's that, how's that go? Yes, ma'am. Well, you talked about the transitional house in Williamson County. Once they leave there, are they able to stay in Williamson County? We have very few of them can stay in Williamson County. Yeah, the affordable housing is, is uh, yeah, this is going to be on government TV after a while, so I've got to be careful what I say. But uh, affordable housing is something our city leaders just don't want to seriously address. Because uh, affordable housing is, is homes, home ownership first, not rental. Um, and it's homes around the 275 to 325 mark. Um, there's no one in our city who, in a leadership position who's talking about low-income housing. No one. And, uh, and, that, and that's, where we're losing, uh, that's where we're losing a lot of people. We have been, as an organization, we have been slowly pulled into Murray County um, because of that, because we don't have place here. And Murray County has a significantly worse homeless situation than we do. Um, and so we have, been, we have slowly been kind of kicking and screaming, not wanting to, but just seeing the need and a lot of people who we worked with here in this county, we end up finding them housing in, in, uh, in Murray County. Um, the grant that we operate under, and this is Franklin Community Development that helps with housing, uh, we're supposed to work in 19 counties, uh, which is every county but Davidson County and Rutherford County and Wilson County in the uh, Middle Tennessee area. So we have placed people in Dixon County, Hickman County, um, Pulaski, I don't know what county that is, but Pulaski, Tennessee, um, and, and some of those have been people here in Williamson County, but that's the only place we can find uh, housing for them at, at that. All right? Um, now, 
there are five things, and I can spend a lot of time here, but I'll, I'll just try to spend what's necessary. There are five things from my perspective that are needed in order to reach functional zero. This is the five things the community needs to have. One is emergency shelter. And right now, the way that our emergency shelter works is if the temperature is 32 or below or um, 90 or above. Um, and so we don't have it 365 days a year. And it gets a little bit complicated because we haven't had shelter in a few weeks. Uh, and then, you know, out of the blue, tonight might be 31, but we, we're, we don't have shelter tonight because it's kind of, you, you know, uh, this time of year, it's kind of hard to do that when it might be 30 degrees one day and then it won't be that again for two or three weeks. It's kind of hard uh, to uh, do that. During co we did this before COVID. During COVID, we went to hotels uh, because, and there was lots of um, government money that was being um, put out there to put people in hotels because the government knew that mass shelters were not a good idea during COVID, <laughs> all right? That makes sense, right? Um, and so, um, and so we started, during COVID, we started using hotels, and we used hotels up until January 1st of this year, um, and so for almost two years, and we spent in excess of $200,000 during that time in, um, in hotels, and, and, uh, but fortunately, all of it through private donations and through grants, uh, we've been able to pay for, but come January the 1st, we were out of that money, and uh, so we went back to the churches, My, and so we've got... Um, well, let me see, Steve, First United Methodist has been a huge partner with us um, and uh, Christ Community. So we have shelter um, at, First, at First United Methodist on certain nights of the week, um, uh, Christ Community Church, um, Church of West Franklin a few nights a week, downtown historic uh, Prez, um, and then come summer, the other first Prez by the golf course, uh, has 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 picked up said they want to do a night of the week as well so I, I think does that sound like everybody Eric uh, am, am I missing somebody my goal is my ultimate goal is to have a permanent shelter but until we reach that place if if we could have 31 churches who would say one night a month will provide shelter uh, then we could have a shelter 365 days a year does that make sense uh, from that so it wouldn't be based on the temperature it would just be that we have it and um, and so that's the, that's the ultimate goal. And we provide everything. Uh, we provide the monitors who stay there all night. Um, we eat supper at our community center before we go to the church. We literally just need space. And we'll even bring the beds. <laughs> so we literally just need space, and that's it. And usually they're there from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m. Uh, the way that it worked this past winter is if, um, if we had shelter, they would come to the community center at 5 p.m. That's on Natchez Street. We would eat supper there, and then around 7 p.m. go to the church that we were staying at, spend the night at the church, and around 7 a.m. that morning leave. And it, sometimes they would come back to the community center. Sometimes if they had their own transportation, they would go on uh, to work or go on to wherever they are. And we have a um, day shelter at our office space on Westmead Boulevard. So if the weather's really, really bad, people can come in during the daytime. Um, and, um, and, I'm, and at our shelter, at our office space, we have, wash, we have washer and dryer and showers and a family room and, and caseworkers. So in theory, a person who is homeless stays in our shelter at night. During the day, they can come to the office, uh, take a shower, wash their clothes. We have a computer lab so they can get on the computer, uh, look for work. And then they have a case manager there if they, to talk to as well. So that's kind of in the ideal situation. So you've got to have emergency shelter. You need transitional housing. 
And so we have, we have one right now. Uh, we need group homes, and we have another group home. Uh, and then there are some other group homes around town that really specialize on people who have addictions. Um, uh, but there are some other ones. And then permanent, affordable, and sustainable housing, which is, which is where it's really, really, really difficult uh, to get to. Uh, and so, and then supportive wraparound services. And so in one form or another, we have all of those present right now. Uh, but some of them are stronger than the others. Um, the permanent housing, we, we have a program, and this is under Franklin Community Development, that we call J297. It stands for Jeremiah 297, uh, but um, where, up, where we can house people in permanent housing and help them with their rent and utilities for a specified period of time, uh, sometimes up to a year. Um, and, um, and with the goal that they would take over the lease or uh, by the end of that year, we found them another place they can live where they can afford uh, uh, to live. And so, um, you know, the first of the month, which is coming up right now, uh, right at every first of the month, my wife will tell you, I kind of go into a two day period where I don't, I don't do anything but write checks um, because, because of all the different rents that we're helping people pay. Uh, a, lot, a lot of places we sign the leases um, and so that we make sure that the landlord gets paid and then the tenant will pay us. Uh, start, usually starts out like 30% of their income and then we try to, uh, to build it up until they can uh, afford uh, all of the rent. And then we have case managers uh, as well as a lot of uh, help in the community from churches and Grace Works and, and uh, life coaches and different things that we can put people in touch with. So we have those in one form or another, uh, but a lot of them could be uh, could be stronger. But how many didn't even know we had that? <laughs> right? So we at least got that going on and, um, and doing the best that we can uh, with, uh, with what we have. Any questions on, on, on those five things? So if we could get all those in place and have that plan where if somebody shows themselves homeless and within 90 days we have them in housing, then we could say that our community uh, is, is, has functionally zero homeless in our community. And again, I think that's, that's a goal worth, worth uh, trying to get to. All right, I think these next slides are just some pictures. Yeah, you've seen that, those three guys. Um, you know, I considered all of them uh, really, really good friends. Um, Fuzzy is in our group home on Natchez Street. He's been there for about uh, four years. And my, my wife told me if I ever ask him to leave, then she's leaving me. So I, so I, can't, I, can't, get rid of, I can't get rid of Fuzzy. All right, Fuzzy. Fuzzy, fuzzy's there, all right? Um, this is our monitor in one of our houses. This is Peter Pan, and uh, a couple of Christmases ago, uh, through a donor, we were able to get him a nice bike. Peter Pan is an Army veteran um, and lifelong um, Franklin resident and uh, was homeless, um, struggling with addiction, and uh, is just really doing a, a really good job. He's probably now 60, about 68, you think? 68. Um, uh, and uh, has done a really good job. He's been at the home probably for about five years. Now, here's the story. Here's why this is all so important. Um, it took, when, when we got the group home on Natchez, and we, um, community housing actually bought that house, and there's apartments behind it. Uh, it's on Natchez Street. And I, I'm, I'm on the board at community housing, so I helped write the grant um, and everything to run it as a group home. And, and it took a long time to, to get that home open uh, for several different reasons. Uh, but Peter Pan was constantly coming. His, his real name is Michael, but um, he, he, goes by, he goes by Peter Pan because when he was in school every day for lunch, he ate peanut butter sandwiches. 
Um, and so he got that nickname. Um, <clears throat> and so Peter Pan would come to me and said, Pastor, you're going to let me come live in the house? And I was like, well, usually when he came to me, he was drunk. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, I really like to see you. You need to get some help. You know, you need, can you go? We're not open yet, so use this time uh, to go and try to get some help. And, and so he would constantly ask me that and, um, and, you know, at different stages of sobriety. And so then we had the house open. There were just a few guys in the house. And uh, Peter Pan came, asked me again, can, he said, can I come live in the house? And he caught me on a good day because I said yes, all right? And so um, he was excited. He came and lived in the house, and that would have been around September of that particular year. And um, come December, close to Christmas, Channel 5 called me and wanted to do a story on the house and the Christmas with the, you know, a good, a good news story with these guys in the house and Christmas. And so Channel 5 came out to the house. And by the way, Peter Pan has given me permission to tell this story. And so there were about uh, three of the guys that were there at the time. There's about seven guys in the house, but Peter Pan was one of them. And the actor reporter had asked me all kinds of questions. And she went around the guys and said, what does this mean for you living here? And when she got to Peter Pan and said, what does this mean? And Peter Pan's a real quiet guy. And, um, and she said, what does it mean for you living here? And, and Peter Pan, without hesitation, said, Pastor Kevin saved my life. And he never told me that before, and this is not about me, but that's just what he said. And the reporter said, well, what do you mean? And Peter Pan said, well, I, I kept bothering uh, Pastor Kevin about wanting to live in the house, and he kept telling me, you know, that if I lived in the house, I had to be sober and, and, and all this kind of stuff, and I was trying my best. And he said, and so I decided to ask Pastor Kevin one more time if he had let me in the house. And if he said no, I was going to kill myself. Yeah. And... I said, yes. Now, I didn't know any of that until he told the reporter that. And I thought, this is extremely important uh, that we do this. Because I can tell you another story of a guy who came to me wanting to move into the house, and we did not have room in the house. And a week later, he hung himself. Um, and, uh, and so I've got the good news with Peter Pan, but I also have that memory of, of this guy who I didn't have room for him. And, uh, and a week after he asked me, he, he killed himself. And so this is literally a matter of life and death. It, it just doesn't get any simpler than that when it comes to trying to solve our homeless problem. And so um, Peter Pan is, is a great guy. He, he does the grocery shopping for me and other things for the house. This is our, our, our community center. It's not very big, <laughs> about maybe 1,500 square feet, one, one square, one uh, block building on the corner of Atkin Street in Natchez. But the amount of stuff that goes through this community center every day is, an, there's a, a, we have a food distribution once a week uh, that, um, that goes out of there. We have all kinds of other activities and, and uh, people drop off, I mean, the amount of clothes and furniture and different things that people just drop off there and that we try our best to, to, to hand out to other people is uh, something else. And that's really where the homeless shelter started. That's where we had it the very first, uh, was, in, um, was in that building about uh, six or seven years ago, is, is where we started uh, this. And we still use it to this day. Here's some other pictures. This is the group home on Natchez Street. Um, there's seven guys there right now. I can have eight. Uh, but the, the difference between seven and eight is really something else. You wouldn't think that it's that way. But seven guys in a house, great. Eight guys in a house, boy, I don't know what, I don't know what happens with that eighth guy, but, but something happens. 
Um, it's a large house. I mean, it's, it's, it, we've got three full baths uh, in it. And then attached to it in the back are three apartments. Uh, Thomas lives in one of the apartments and kind of keeps an eye on the house uh, uh, for me. And so on this location, there's uh, a group home for eight people and then two one-bedroom apartments that are affordable and one two-bedroom apartment uh, that, is a, that is affordable. And we kind of oversee all of that. Community housing owns it, but we, uh, we oversee it. And that's been operating now, I think, five years uh, is, is how long that we've been open uh, there. And, all, and that's for guys. And all the guys in there were homeless at one time or another. These, these are two homes in Columbia that I'm showing you. So, yeah, you know, we've been drugged down into uh, Murray County. Um, this one and this one are what's called shared living. Um, and so basically there's seven large rooms, I mean really good-sized rooms, um, and every room, so every, it's like an efficiency apartment where they have their own uh, bathroom uh, and then a large area, and then they share a kitchen. And so there's seven in one house, seven in another, and so they're full. Uh, and the person who built those, uh, and again, we're, we lease these, uh, we, don't, we don't buy them, but a per the person who built those is about to start construction on two more for us. Uh, and so we'll have access to, uh, hopefully soon, 28 beds. Uh, and this is permanent. Once people sign a lease and they live there, and, um, and a lot of them are from Winston County, we, you know, but we get them there because they can live there for uh, it's $350 a month. Um, and then they're on their own. It's, 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 shared, it's shared living, and it's not a program. It's independent. Uh, it's independent living. Um, and so those are the two homes uh, there. That car is not there anymore. That was a neighbor's car we had to tow away. Uh, all right. This is our office. It's just the sign. Um, it's the old Habitat uh, built office on uh, West Mead, if you remember where that is. is where our office is now. And uh, I'm on the far left, Eric is the office manager, and then Luis, who runs Better Options, but he also runs our J297 uh, program. And then we have uh, Annette and Thomas uh, over here, and um, uh, Teresa Burns, if you remember her, she used to run GAP Ministries. She's one of our case managers. Gwen Bright is a case manager, and Tony Carlew is, is a case manager, and then a retired Lutheran minister named Charlie Bowker, who is kind of our just chaplain that we go to and cry on his shoulder uh, often. All there behind Pueblo Real, uh, which is really, really horrible around lunchtime because it smells. <laughs> it smells so good. Right? So if you're ever in the area, just stop by and come in and see it. And you can see our computer lab and the washer and dryer and, and uh, kind of the day shelter idea from there. Um, this is just part of our team um, and uh, some of our board members as well as the other ones. And this is our new group home. On, uh, on Westmead Boulevard as well. Um, and I got a picture here, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, that's the group home. Uh, again, seven people. We have the idea that this could very well be co-ed um, because since it's only there for 90 days, it could be men and women both. Um, and at least that's the, that's the, the goal there. We just got all the security cameras uh, installed, so it'll be like Big Brother, <laughs> you know, this uh, reality TV show. Um, and it's right beside our offices. Basically, on West Mead, you got our office space and then Walker Memorial Baptist Church parking lot and then that house. And the way God worked that out is, is really just, uh, uh, really ju just a miracle. Um, quick story on that. I was praying for day shelters. So Lord, we really need a day shelter. I was not praying for office space. Everybody had laptop computers, and we just were spread out. 
And uh, Luis told me about this, that, that building, the old Habitat place, uh, because his friend had purchased it and thought he would give me a good deal on it to rent. And so I went to look at it, telling Luis, we're not going to be able to afford this. And uh, when I walked in and saw the shower in the bathroom, I thought, this is a day shelter. I don't really care about, there's 10 offices. I don't really care about the offices. It's a day shelter. Um, and, uh, and so that made me interested. But then also, before, about three weeks before I looked at that office space, I got a phone call uh, from um, a Scott and Barbara Layden who go to, to, to Steve's church, uh, First United Methodist. They're kind of mortgage uh, company, right? Is that, and Barbara called me and said, hey, Kevin, we're, we're updating our desk, and uh, I've got 10 desks. Uh, I want to know if you wanted them. Now, I didn't need 10 desks. I didn't even know where I was going to put them. But I knew, oh, this is coming from a mortgage company. These are nice desks. I mean, these are not, you know, your typical, these are nice desks. And so I said, well, Barbara, if you're not in a hurry to get rid of them, yeah, I'll take them. I think I'll just store them because I might need them one day. And, and so that was 10 desks. Then about three weeks later, I go look at this office space. There's 10 offices there. And, uh, and then what, you know, what we were able to lease it for was, was something we could afford. And I, I called Barbara and I said, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to come get the desk from you and take them straight to our office. They're not going to have to go in storage. And, and, and they were a heavy, <laughs> heavy desk. They, they were really, really nice desks. But that's just how God worked. And it was right beside this house that we had been working on. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so God always has a plan. Um, two pictures that are coming up here. Remember, Jeff, um, the picture I showed you? When we started using the office space, um, my father-in-law actually and my son-in-law were, were cutting the grass. And my father-in-law came and got me and said, Kevin, you, there's, there's a, he said, a campsite over here. And, uh, and it was in some bushes in the corner on the backside of Walker Memorial parking lot. And so right up against the property where we were. And I went and I looked. And as soon as I saw it, I knew that this was one of Jeff's places. Because I knew Jeff had a place that he slept in that area. Never knew exactly where it was, but I knew it was there. And it was his favorite beer, beer cans that were, that were there. And he'd been, he had been dead for about two years at that time. And so it had been untouched. This is one block off Main Street, um, right behind Pueblo Real, all of that. And uh, there was somebody in our community who lived there like that for 13 years in Franklin, right there. And it's still, it's still there. I don't, I, sometimes I think, man, I need to protect this, but eventually I think it'll be overgrown. But uh, there, was a, there was a foam thing in there that he would sleep on. And um, I can't prove it, but I'm 100% confident that's one of Jeff's, that was one of Jeff's places uh, that, that he stayed. And, and then this is on Natchez Street. Um, when I first started working with the people who were homeless, on the far right, that, that shed, at one time there were four guys who lived in there. Um, and uh, they've all, I'm trying to think of those four because Jeff would have been one of them. He stayed there when it got really, really cold. He would stay, and we weren't open. He would stay there. Um, and so all those guys had been housed where they passed away. And then on another piece of property is this shack um, that Fuzzy built. And, and this is on Natchez Street. Now, that's a million-dollar house behind it. See it? See it? So for about four or five years, Fuzzy lived there. And I would periodically go check on those guys if I hadn't seen them in a while. 
Uh, and there was a couple of times, uh, I remember one time I walked in, I knocked on Fuzzy's place and nobody said anything. And so I opened the door and, um, and Fuzzy was underneath a whole bunch of blankets. So I thought, oh no, he's died. But he was just in a really, really deep sleep, uh, thankfully. Um, but that, the, where the other picture I showed you in this, this is in Franklin. Uh, there used to be a tent city that would pop up periodically behind Home Depot by the interstate, uh, but now they build up apartments, and so, uh, and so those are gone. Now, in Fairview, uh, the interstate in Fairview, there's a tent city um, that pops up quite a bit. But now here, and this, <laughs> every year HUD uh, has this thing that they call a point in time, where all across the country on a particular night in the winter, communities are supposed to go and count uh, how many people are experiencing homelessness? So how many people are in shelters? How many people are living on the streets? And you count them and you report back to, to HUD, um, uh, Housing and Urban Development, you know, it's the federal agency. And uh, then your city can qualify for different grants based on the number that, that you had. And so um, at this tent city out uh, close to Fairview, there was about 20 people who were living there. And that was also really, really notorious for drugs, but there was about 20 people living in that tent city. And, and um, I was trying to get out there because I heard about it and I was like, man, I need to get out there and, and see those people and see if there's anything that they need. And a week before the point in time count, uh, the Fairview police went, cleaned that tent city out, got rid of everybody, and then Fairview counted zero homeless on that point in time count. You know. Now that particular year, I reported to Franklin um, on that particular night, 30-something homeless, and the city of Franklin all but called me a liar. Uh, they contacted a, a community housing and said, this can't be true. Kevin's making this up, and I was like, let me show you, let me show you the paperwork. I can verify every one of these people and where they are, what car they live in, and, um, and what's going on uh, from that. Uh, so anyway, so I show those two pictures just to show that this, this is what has been going on in Franklin that nobody has known about, that people have kept have done their best uh, to keep quiet. And so that's where Fuzzy lived. And so I got this wonderful picture. There is Fuzzy on his birthday. That was this year, wasn't it? Yeah. He's in the group home. And boy, he causes problems sometimes. But he is, uh, he's, a special, he's a special person uh, from that. Uh, just the other day, he got glasses. And uh, so I didn't know that he couldn't see very well, and, uh, but he, he got glasses. We, when he came to us uh, with the help of some other people in the community, we got him on disability so he could get his knee uh, replaced. He had a really, really bad knee, and uh, Annette helped him uh, recoup uh, from all of that. And uh, the doctor said it was one of the worst knees he'd ever seen. Because here, here's kind of the way it works. If you're homeless and you're between the ages of 18 and 62, you do not have insurance. You know, you just don't. You don't have insurance, and so you have these health problems, and there's nothing you can do. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and so we, like I said, we were able to. Uh, Kristen Grimm helped us with that. Get him on. Get his disability worked out, uh, so he could have um, knee surgery uh, from that. All right. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's. The next. Oh no. Yeah, this is important. Type of homelessness in Franklin, because it is a little bit different than other places. Um, so in Franklin, here's what, there's, there's three types of homelessness. Chronic homelessness, which is, means you've been homeless for a long time, long, long time. And so Jeff 
uh, would have fit uh, that category. Um, and then there's temporary homeless, homelessness, or you could say situational. And so somebody, because of COVID or because of something in life, they lost their job, so they end up filing for bankruptcy or they end up losing their apartment and they move into homelessness for a little while. And if it's temporary or situational, there's a really, really good chance with, with some supportive services, they're going, to get, they're going to be able to get back out of that. Chronic homelessness is very, very difficult to get people uh, out of. But temporary or situational homeless, there's a good chance things will turn around and they'll get out of it. And then couch surfing is really what we have in Franklin more often than not. Couch surfing is just, uh, they're just going from couch to couch. They don't have anywhere to live. Uh, so they stay here until they wear out their visit, and they go there until they wear out their visit, and they go somewhere else. And so that's a huge difference in Franklin, the homeless in Franklin, compared to what you have uh, in Nashville. We, have, we, we do have very few people who are actually just living on the street with nowhere to go. Jeff was one of those, um, and there, there are a few others. Um, and I know where they stay, but I'm not going to tell you. But, uh, but the majority that we have um, is, is people who they just don't have anywhere to live, and so when they get some money together, they'll stay in a hotel for a while, then they'll stay with aunts and uncles and, and, um, and, and all of that. So it's just called couch surfing. Now the difficulty is different organizations define homelessness differently. Um, and so it becomes difficult to try to get the resources to help them because they may not reach, um, like for example, if you're couch surfing, by definition, HUD says you're not homeless. However, by HUD's definition, if you live in an apartment and you got an eviction notice that you got to be out in 30 days, at that point you're homeless, even though you're still in your apartment. Um, and so it gets, but yet the, uh, the school system is going to say you're homeless if you're couch surfing. And if you're couch surfing, um, the government, the judge, a judge could step in and take your children away from you if you're couch surfing. But yet you can't get the resources for being homeless because you're not homeless by, it's really, com it's really convoluted. And uh, those are some of the things that we have to deal with. Reasons for homelessness are, are great. Mental illness, I put at the top because I do think these are not in any particular order except mental illness. Um, again, studies will tell you that half of people who, who, who are homeless are mentally ill. Uh, what that means is they've been diagnosed with a mental illness. I'm just telling you from experience that it's more like 100%. Because uh, if you've been homeless for any length of time, you, you, at the very least, you've got PTSD. Um, at the very least. And so mental illness and our society still hasn't figured out a way to take care of those who are mentally ill. We've just got a long way to go in that. But mental illness, and, and I could tell you stories of, of, of mental illness that are somewhat humorous, but at the same time, they're also a little sad and scary. But then you have addictions, um, alcohol or drugs. Uh, Jeff was a really, really bad alcoholic. Um, and again, since he didn't have insurance, Jeff finally came to me one day and said he wanted help. Finally, after about, I don't know how long I'd known him, he said, I, 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 I got to get off the street. He was starting to lose his, his uh, toes due to some health reasons as well as hypothermia. Uh, and, so he said, and so I thought, okay, and uh, he's an alcoholic, which means no treatment center is going to take him until he goes to detox. Um, and, um, and one week of detox can cost up to $8,000. He has no insurance. I don't have $8,000. Uh, through um, Tony Owens, another friend of ours, he was able to get a scholarship. We got him to um, detox for a week. After that week, was able to send him uh, to a treatment center. Um, and to make a long story short, I, and I had to raise upwards of $20,000 to keep him in treatment. And, um, and he was sober for a little over 100 days uh, before, he, um, before he went back to the streets. And people say, Kevin, you wasted your money. And I'm like, no, uh -uh. 
Those were really, really good 100 days. I'd go see Jeff. Man, we had a good conversations. Um, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction is a disease. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for people who have cancer and, and they're cured of cancer or the cancer goes in remission for a year, two years, three years, and then the cancer comes back. Do we say we wasted all that money? No, you didn't waste any of it. You know, so I, did, I didn't waste a dime of that um, to, um, uh, to, to, help, to help Jeff. But part of my goal is that we would, that somehow or another I could establish a, um, a trust fund, for lack of a better word. Um, and if, if that trust fund was a couple million dollars, which I know it is, it would be at least that. If somebody came to me and said, I won't help, um, man, I've got a trust fund that's for nothing but treatment. Because here's the thing, if you've got insurance or you've got money, there's bed available. If you don't, there's no beds available. <laughs> you know, but I could call a treatment center and say, hey, I need to send somebody. I can pay you cash up front. I guarantee you they've got a bed available somehow or another uh, uh, for that. And so that's kind of one of my goals is to have that trust fund set aside that would be for nothing but treatment. Because what happens, there, there's only one free treatment center around that I know of, and it's in Columbia. And it, it could take me two weeks to a month to get somebody in. So if somebody comes to me and say they want help, and I say, okay, I want to call, but it might be a month before you get help, what's going to happen during that month? Right? They're not going to want, they're not going to want help at the end of that. So to be able, as soon as somebody says they want help, to be able to get them into detox and get them into treatment is so important. And if they don't have insurance, uh, there, there's just no other way, there's just no other way to do it. So mental illness, addictions, um, loss of jobs and through COVID that was a big deal here where people uh, lost their jobs. Life circumstances which would be loss of job but also medical uh, things or people you know somebody just uh, they go through a divorce and they just kind of give up on life um, and uh, and so they just you know a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness at one time were professionals and had good careers but something happened in life and they just they just checked out um, and then aging out of foster care. Um, you know, there's a lot of people between the ages of 18 and 22 who are homeless um, because, you know, once you're 18, you're not in foster care anymore um, and, uh, and you still don't have life figured out. Um, and so you end up being homeless um, because of that. Any questions on that slide? All right, here from 2021, here's just a snapshot of what happened this is just our organization, so this doesn't include Grace Works, and it doesn't include uh, community housing. Uh, but over 2021, we, we provided 291 nights of shelter. Um, so that's 80% of all the possible. There's only 365 nights. So out of 365 nights, we provided shelter in one form or another, 291 of those nights. That means we had shelter 8 out of 10 nights all year long. Um, uh, that means there was a total of 1,437 beds provided. Uh, so that's the way, the way that HUD would want us to report this is that we, had, we provided 1,437 nights of shelter is the way HUD would want it. But, you know, you, that doesn't compute in my head because there's only 365 nights, but, but beds. Now, this could be the same person who, who stayed in the hotel, you know, for a week or so. Uh, but that's how that's, that averages out uh, to five people per night. But there was 200 individual people, over 200 individual people that we worked with in 2021. And then you break that down by average, that's just two men, two women, and one child every night. Um, two and a half of the five, so half of them would have been white, 
uh, two African Americans per night, and then um, uh, it's really less than 0.5 <laughs> it's Hispanics, not very many uh, his, Hispanics. But basically, um, you know, it, you see the racial component here when basically half of your homeless are African American, and in Williamson County, African Americans make up less than 8% of the population total, but yet half of the homeless uh, would be that. All right, uh, December was our highest average, uh, where there was 11 people per night. January was the lowest one, and the reason for that is because we were out of money <laughs> in January. We were out of money, um, and so that's when we had to pivot and go back uh, to the shelters uh, from that. This year, um, you know, we, we, January 1, we started going back to the shelters, and we had a very, very cold winter, did we not? <laughs> And so um, we had to shut down our shelter for two weeks because we had a COVID exposure. Um, and so we went back to um, hotels and I didn't know where I was gonna get the money from, uh, but some churches stepped up to help me cover that um, uh, for that two week period. And, um, and then we went back uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the churches. And, and when the temperature gets to be 90 or above, we'll, go, we'll be in the churches again from that. So what do the people do who stay in our shelter when it's not 32 or below or 90 or above. They sleep in their cars, they sleep at the laundromat, they sleep on somebody's porch, somebody's couch, um, and that's, that's what they do uh, until, until we're able to provide uh, shelter again uh, from that. Some, uh, and during the day, they hang out here sometimes. Uh, you know, they hang out at the library. Uh, I know one guy in particular there, there is no um, stereotypical person. You know, we got people, like I said, who are homeless and they're on addiction. They have addictions, but yet one of the first homeless guys I worked with lived in his truck and worked uh, for the county, was a county employee, uh, but was homeless. And uh, I kept saying, I need to tell, no, please. He was afraid he'd get fired if they found out he was homeless, but he worked for the county. We've had, I've had uh, fast food managers uh, stay with us from time to time because they're homeless and they're and they're managing fast food restaurants uh, in town. And so, um, for a little while in our group home, I had a medical doctor who stayed in the group home because he had nowhere else to live. He he found a place pretty quick, but for a little while, uh, he was a medical doctor and was and was homeless uh, uh, from that. All right, I think that's the last slide. So the next slide is questions. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Could you comment on what the state of Tennessee does, if anything at all, for kids aging out of foster care and preparing them for life out in the world? There's really not anything. Now, there's private organizations and private nonprofits who, you know, who have some things. Um, but, but outside of that, once, once they age out, um, you know, they're, they're out. And... Um, you know, now that was something to me when I first started doing this. Like when, like when I got the group home open on Natchez Street, all of a sudden my phone started ringing off the hook of people between 18 and 21 who were homeless in Franklin that I didn't know. I knew about the older people who were homeless, but the, the teenagers basically and young adults who were homeless uh, was quite surprising to me. Now that brings its own challenges. So, I, so they, we have an unwritten rule now that you've got to be 21 uh, to be in our group home because of just some, some they really need their own type of group home and program uh, for, that age, for that age. But there's, as far as the state, there, there's not anything. Now, 
you know, they could, if, if they get the right help they need, they could go to college, you know, and, and obviously through, through the different lottery systems and other things, I mean, they, they should be able to go to college. But if they're not getting that support as they're growing up, then once they're 18, they don't go to college, they don't join the military, uh, there's a good chance they're going to be on the street um, for that. Yeah. And also, could you also comment on, at um, one point you showed a slide earlier where I, I think you comment like a community center or something like that during the day. You talked about food going out of that. Yeah. Um, how do any uh, local or regional food banks plug into what you do in terms of how people get fed? Yeah, the, the, the giveaway, and, and Samantha walked in. She's, she's my assistant, and she, does, she runs the community center. Uh, but it's actually, it's a group of people from uh, St. Paul's Episcopal Church, and they go to, um, is it Trader Joe's mainly, uh, and pick up food every week and bring it there, and then Samantha helps distribute it. Um, but it's through, it's through a ministry through St. Paul's. Then the Giving Garden um, will give us, uh, the United Methodist Church Giving Garden gives us uh, food quite a bit. But the, the amount, I don't, we don't have any way, we don't do a good job of keeping track of how much it is. Um, but the amount of food uh, that we give away on a weekly basis, then you multiply that for a year, is quite substantial. And, um, and, and very few people know that it's going. And the reason we don't want people to know because we, we can't feed everybody. So, you know, uh, it, it's just we, the people who come, know, they know when we're going to be open and they come. And usually within an hour, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much all gone. Uh, from that, but uh, uh, but yeah, so it's not really through a food bank. It's through uh, Trader Joe's mainly, and a group from uh, St. Paul's who go and pick it up. And that's been going on for I don't know what three years maybe, more. more? Yeah, so once a week for five years. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 really it's really amazing uh, what happens, and it's amazing what happens when people find out. One of the first years that we had our shelter in the community center, we had a really, really bad ice storm. And so for 14 days, I had, um, I think it was around 10 guys who pretty much did not leave the community center. Uh, so 10 adult men for 14 days in a community center. <laughs> uh, and I didn't tell anybody, I don't know how people found out, but all of a sudden, uh, like Panera Bread and other restaurants were calling me saying, hey, we got some food. We hear that you got some guys over there. Can we bring it over? And so they, did, they didn't miss a meal <laughs> uh, during, that, during that time. So it's amazing how word, uh, how word got out uh, about that. Um, you know, but, um, and God's protected us because you know, we've, we've, we've never had anything bad happen, um, but we've had some interesting things happen from time to time. Uh, from that. Any other questions? We got a whole other hour, right? It's just. Yes, ma'am. Well, I know that um, you've asked the community to provide meals for yeah. the nights that the shelters are open. Is there anything else the community should know that the ways people can help? Yeah, I, I get that question a lot, and and. The way that the way that we operate right now is, um, I mean, it's, the greatest need is always financial, um, because the homeless um, work, working with this group of people is all outgo, no income, 
um, and there's no return on investment. You know, like, and, like you know, um, well, Chris Whitney's a good friend of mine, one, one gen away, and he's got a great, uh, you know, he, he's got a great uh, thing going on, and he can tell people, you know, for every dollar you give me, I can feed X number of people. And, it, and, and he's right about that, and it's like, wow, that's really good. But if you look at the money we spend, it's like, you know what, for every $12,000 you give me, I can house somebody for a year. You know, all of a sudden, it's like, what? That's not as, you know. Um, and so we have, we have the volunteer opportunities for food um, only when we're open for shelter. Um, and we don't have our own shelter, so there's not like, you know, come and, and, uh, and help fix up stuff. So, that, and so there's not like a lot of volunteer opportunities like that. Uh, the, na the nature of what we do is, is long-term care, which just has a high uh, which just has a high, a high price to it, you know. I'm like, even, even when we operate the shelter in churches, that cost um, around 300 or so dollars every night that we do it. Now, some of that is insurance that we have to cover. Some of that is, is um, just other expenses and, and the monitors and, and, and all of that. And so that's, you know, that's cheaper than a hotel because it, if we got four people or we had 14 people, it's pretty much that's going to be the cost, you know. But you can imagine just if it's $300 a night and I want to do this 365 nights a year, what, is, what does that equal to, you know? And, um, and, there, and the people who are experiencing homelessness at that point, uh, a lot of them say they want to help, and a lot of them, uh, we've well, not a lot, but we've had a few who, when they got back on their feet, they come back and help us, or they, or they have uh, sent uh, money to us. Uh, but we operate by the goodwill of the people and and by grants um, that uh, that God has blessed us with. Because I'm not a grant writer, but but I've, I've had a little bit of success in uh, uh, in that way. I wish we would just get more. Help. More and more churches are coming on board to help, uh, to help with shelter as well as to help financially, uh, which I'm very, very grateful for. I mean, there, there's no reason in this community we don't have um, a fully staffed 365-day-a-year shelter. There's just not. There's just not a re except there's not the will. Uh, there's not the will to do it. You know. Hope that wasn't too hard. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Earlier, when you were saying what like groups of people fell into, uh, I guess, different kinds of homelessness, I don't think you mentioned seniors. Is that because seniors would be fall into above 62 and fall into some kind of subsidized senior housing? I mean, what happens to seniors? Well, you guys, um, Annette and Thomas help with the shelter a lot. We had a lot of seniors. Yeah, and so you know, we can. There's just not enough of the senior living places um, now. For you know, in every in every group who's trying to help, if somebody's a senior citizen, or or if they're a single parent, uh, they would kind of sometimes jump to the front of the line uh, of help. But uh, unfortunately, you just can't. You know, Franklin Housing Authority has um, two uh, senior development places, and I think they're working on a third one. But they're full with a waiting list so long it's hard to get in. Um, and, um, and all the ones in Nashville are full. Um, there's just not, 
there's, there's just no good answer. Um, and so, you know, we try our best. We, we, have, we have put people, made them roommates, whether they wanted to be or not. Just, you know what, if you move in together, you might be able to afford this, but on your own, you can't. I would say uh, the, two, uh, the 14 beds, uh, Luis, you can help me. Luis came in. Luis runs J297. But um, the 14 beds in Columbia, the, uh, the average age is probably... 60 or above, isn't it, of the 14 beds that are down there. Uh, the average age in my group home on Natchez Street is going to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm 56, so it's going to be 56 to maybe 61 or 62. we got a couple people who, um, the youngest one's probably in their 40s. How, how old is Tab? Is he in his 40s? Or, or Jarvis? Jarvis. Yeah, but he's, is he 40 yet? Okay, so the youngest is 40, and then Peter Pan is probably the oldest at 68. Um, that is, so, no, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the reality. The, the only, and it's not that's 100%, but if somebody, now Peter Pan is the exception because he stays with us, but if somebody presents themselves to us and they, are, and they are truly homeless and they're a veteran with the right paperwork that they got released from, finding them housing is not very difficult. There's lots and lots of help um, uh, for veterans. But if you're not a veteran... Um, or you're, you're kind of in between that, you're not quite 62 yet, um, it, it, can be, it can be tough. And then when people have, when people have been homeless for a while, um, you know, like we got a guy who's at our transitional house now who his 90 days is about up, and we've done our best to help him, but what's your plan, what's your plan? Well, my plan is to save enough money, which I think he has, to buy a vehicle, and then I can stay in my vehicle. I mean, that's his, that's his plan. You know, and uh, and that's probably what he'll do. But before he came to the transitional house, he was living in a tent by the river. So, I guess a vehicle is is a step up. You know, from that. Yeah, Steve. Two questions. Do you see any problem with the grants and jeopardy coming up? And secondly, when and how are will yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of grants that have helped us with homeless were emergency grants because of COVID, and those are pretty much over with. Um, especially at the amount uh, they were uh, they were given, um, and and so those grants. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a couple of grants. That, that will help a little bit, but not on the same level as uh, those grants did. Um, our housing grant, the J297 program, we've just been approved, and it'll be our fourth year uh, of it. And so the, the housing component will still be there, but what happens is, is that basically it's full. We can't put anybody else in a house until somebody else is able to come out of the program, which means they're on their own, you know, and so then we can, then we can, then we can uh, add. Um, we have a program kind of off to the side that a, a few churches, I think your church has done at least once, but a few churches have helped where, um, where the churches will help subsidize somebody's housing. In fact, that's kind of another dream that I have is if every church would, because I believe that as a pastor, I believe that this is primarily lays at responsibility of the churches and the synagogues and the mosques. You know, God's people are the ones who have to take care of this primarily, even though most of my funding comes from the government. But if every church would commit to um, helping subsidize an apartment, 
Um, then all of a sudden, you know, like, like here's how it could work. Somebody comes to us and they're, and they're homeless. Okay, so maybe they came to our shelter, and so we kept them in our shelter for a few weeks so we could get to know them. Then we moved them into our transitional home. During this time, um, they're getting the help that they need, supportive services. Um, they're working full-time, but it's going to be at a, <clears throat> a livable wage in Franklin is $30 an hour. You cannot live in Franklin for less than $30 an hour without help. That's just the fact. Um, and, so, and, and so they got a job. Maybe they're making $13, $14 an hour. Um, and, and it might be a mom or a dad with a couple of kids, so they're going to go, and, and we found an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, but it's fifteen, sixteen hundred $1,600 a month. They can't afford that, but they could afford maybe five or 600 a month. And so if a church would come along and say, you know what, for the next year, we'll, we'll su help subsidize this. We'll, we'll commit to $500 or $1,000 a month uh, for this family, do it through us, so we'll sign the lease. Uh, the church would give the money to us, the person would give the money to us that they're paying, and then we would pay the landlord uh, from that. Um, and the landlords are happy with that because we pay our bills regardless if we got the money or not. We, we're going to pay it. Uh, if every church in Franklin, in Williamson County, did that, you're talking over 300 families you're helping. And then the next year, reevaluate. Okay, we can't, you know, they can do 800 this year, so now we're only going to do 800 and reevaluate and help subsidize it. It would, it would put a big dent in, in, human, in, in a, the affordable housing situation that we're in. Our church does that, and we're less than 100 people. And we do that. And so regardless of the size of your church, you can do that. And to be quite honestly, if your church is helping build houses in other countries and you're not doing that here, you're sinning. <laughs> you know, to be quite honest. I mean, our church builds houses in Honduras, but we also do it here. Um, and, you know, and so, but if, and can you imagine if every church in Middle Tennessee did that, there would be no affordable housing problem in Middle Tennessee. But we're not doing that. Um, you know, we look to the government to do it, and the government is, is, um, is doing the best they can, I think, and, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but if God's people would do it, it would go a long way into solving this problem that's just not being solved right now. You know. Right. I didn't mean to preach, but any any other questions? Keep keep asking away. This is fun. While you were giving the talk, if I understood you right, I, I thought I understood you to say that the homeless or people experiencing homelessness that that um, situation was worse in in Maubry? Murray County, Columbia. Columbia. Why would that be the case? I don't know. I don't know, but it is. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, and we're doing what we can um, and uh, have plans on trying to help the churches in Murray County try to, to get together um, and do this, but it's, it's, uh, it's worse, you know, and obviously it's worse in Nashville than anywhere, uh, and then, but Murray County, then you get out into the, in the more rural counties and, and nobody really knows. I mean, you know, again, we just did, I mean, I, we could talk about poverty a little bit, but there are parts, there are people who live in Williamson County in the country who do not have indoor plumbing in Williamson County. And they do not have running water in their house. Um, and they own, and they own their house, um, but they're, in, but they're in poverty in Williamson County, you know, and uh, that's just, 
<laughs> scratch, belie- scratch beneath the surface of, uh, of what's going on in our county. And then, you know, the, the back to Steve's question, I, I didn't finish answering it. Um, the, our, the one big grant that we have that helped us get the house and helped us uh, start this program is over with June 30th. Um, and so come July 1, um, you know, we will have no, we'll have no more rental assistance money. I, we're already out of hotel money. And, um, and two, two of my part-time case managers um, uh, won't, be, won't be with us anymore. Uh, comes, now, we will still have two full-time case managers because they're under another grant um, and, um, and our office manager. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, okay, the knee's not going away, but the resources are going away, uh, are going away if we don't get um, more community buy-in uh, uh, from that. I don't know if that, if that answers your question, but that's just... That, that handles the grant side. I'm yeah. still concerned about businesses plugging in. We, we have tremendous opportunities with businesses, and we've just not tapped them. We have it. Now, uh, you know, I, let me see. Well, i got one board member here. Um, I, the Homeless Alliance, um, we're, we're putting a... Uh, uh, job description together to try to get a developmental director on board to help with with the businesses and just the overall uh, just the overall fundraising. I mean our budget, the homeless, not, not Franklin Community Development, the Homeless Alliance budget for 2022 is I think six hundred something thousand dollars. Um, There's the Homeless Alliance budget. Now if you throw in Franklin Community Development's budget on top of that you're looking at another two or three hundred thousand dollars. So you're talking almost a million dollars um, but the Franklin Community Development does more than homeless, homelessness. And so, um, you know, we, we, we do other things in the community besides, besides that. But, but I think that's right. Does that sound about right? It was around $600,000. I don't think it hit $700,000, but it was around $600,000 for the 2022 budget. And um, my, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but my whole salary comes from the church. I don't get paid a dime from any of the grants or uh, doing any of the work for the Homeless Alliance. It's all, my salary is completely from the church, uh, from that. So that $600,000, I'm considered the executive director of Williamson Homeless Alliance. Um, so that $600,000 does not include an executive director <laughs> uh, salary. It's, it's just completely from the church, uh, from that. Any, anything else? The good news is, and I, I, just, I just didn't have time, and we have some videos of, of uh, some of the people who we've housed. And, and um, you know, we, we had a situation recently. Um, a lady uh, contacted, I don't remember now if it was the lady or if it was the apartment manager. But anyway, we were contacted about a 70-year-old lady. Um, how old was Ms. Clark? Is that about right? 70? 70, 73. 73? All right, um, and uh, who was about to be evicted from her apartment. Um, and usually people will call me and say, I'm about to be evicted, and you find out that they're not about to be evicted. The landlord is starting the eviction process, which could take, you know, a few months. Um, but by the time this lady or the apartment manager contacted us, um, the, the deputies were coming in two days to get her stuff out of the apartment. So she had already been through court, gone through the whole thing, in her 70s, was about to be evicted. Um, her apartment was $2,000 a month. Um, 
and she was on a fixed income. She had had some inheritance money that she blew through pretty quickly, and so she'd been living in this apartment for about seven years. But now she was just down to her fixed income, and, uh, and there were some mental issues there. And, um, and so uh, we worked with her. Um, I put her ended up putting, she ended up moving into a hotel, I think, for close to two months, wasn't it, before we could find her a place in, uh, in Fairview, where we finally found her a place in Fairview uh, that was based on her income uh, from that. But she had to go through a lot because she was living in a $2,000 uh, apartment, used to that type of lifestyle, now moving into a fixed income apartment, not quite the same. And, uh, but, um, man, as it, she was, she was happy, by the end, at the end of the day, she was finally happy. It took her a while to get happy about it. Uh, but as a, as a staff, it took all of us two months working with her, not giving up. Uh, to, we, we put her stuff in storage. Um, and then was accused of stealing her stuff because we put it in storage. You can imagine if you work with elderly people sometimes, you can imagine, you know, if, if they're going through uh, maybe a little bit of dementia, um, what, uh, what that was like. Um, but I'm very proud of my staff uh, for that. And, uh, and we haven't heard anything from her, so, so that means she's doing good. We, we helped reconnect her with her family because um, she, was, she was estranged from her family for a while. Um, and so those kind of things, you know, that's that one in a hundred. Uh, those kind of things are what um, are, are what tries what helps you get up. What we're entering into now is a time where, when people call us, um, we try to be compassionate, we try to to offer hope, um, but yet it's like, well, we don't really have anything right now, and uh, that's hard and it's taxing on your staff if if they're having to say that over and over and over again because uh, the needs are so real. The number of children who are homeless in our community has gone up, uh, I think, a lot because of COVID. So a lot of single moms. When we were in hotels, um, there were lots of single moms. When we, went, when we went back to the churches, the single moms sometimes, I think, are a little bit more afraid to come. Uh, so it ends up being uh, either single ladies or single guys. Um, but... Um, but the number of children in our community uh, who are homeless um, is, uh, is increasing and living on their streets. Um, you know, periodically when it's real cold at night, I'll go to the different parking lots to look for people who are homeless. And, uh, and I'm amazed over and over again uh, of how many times they just, they, they would rather stay in their cars um, because they're afraid, especially if they're ladies. There, there was, this may not have been the smartest thing. It was about 10 o'clock at night and it was, single digits and I was in Walmart parking lot and I can tell when a car has somebody living in it and I went and knocked on the window and I kind of stand back and it was a lady and I'm thinking first of all Kevin this may not be the smartest thing you're six foot four guy 10 o'clock at night you know this is a, a lady you know no telling what she but I give them my car let them know I'm a pastor and um, uh, but she called me we kept in touch for a little while but but she was just afraid she she'd never she'd rather have a a gift card from Kroger or Walmart so she could keep gas in her car and keep her car warm than, uh, uh, than to come into a shelter. And I think sometimes I can understand that, especially if they've gone to the shelters in Nashville. Uh, they just want to be left alone. But they still need to be cared for, right? Somebody like Jeff, um, he, he was a bad alcoholic, um, but he still needed to be cared for. Um, and to have a place where somebody could come um, 
Florida did a study several years ago on homelessness at Tallahassee, Florida, and they discovered that the average homeless person cost taxpayers around thirty or $40,000 a year, okay, because of, uh, you know, they get, a, they get arrested, go to jail. A lot of times in Franklin, our homeless shelter is the county jail, um, or they, they do damage to businesses, or they get sick and go to the hospital, and they don't have insurance. And so on average, a homeless person costs taxpayers around thirty or $40,000 a year. But you could shelter them in a homeless shelter for around 12000 a year. And so the money that our county would save, if they would see the importance of having a shelter, uh, would, would be off the charts, um, you know, that, it, that we could do this. Um, and uh, it's, it's safer for somebody like Jeff to be in a shelter at night um, than to be outside. And Jeff um, would, I mean, he would tell me if it was really, really cold and we weren't open, there was, he, would, he would go to a business because he didn't want to hurt anybody, but he would go to the business and throw a brick through the window, break it, wait for the police to come, be arrested. That way he'd go to, the, go to jail for a week and be out of the cold. That was his... You know, it would have been far better for everybody if he would have had a place every night that he could have come just to lay his head down and, and stay safe and keep the community safe uh, as well. At least that's the way I see it from that. I don't have to go to a five, do I? No. Okay. All right. All right. We can sing a hymn, take up an offering, do something like that. All right. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I hope it was informative. Um, all right. You can write these down if you need to get a hold of me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Kevin, for coming out. Um, there will hopefully be more in this series of community conversations. I don't have anything set in stone yet, but if we have more, it'll be on our email, the website, advertised throughout the library. Um, you guys are free to stay and chat, mingle for a while, because we go through until 5. Um, but, oh, and this will also be on WCTV, um, not immediately, but eventually. If you ever want to watch a playback or share it with someone, it will be available. Thank you, everyone.